Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. Whoa, look at that big mic. Yeah, I have a really, really big mic. <laughs> That's really awful. <laughs> a really big mic. <laughs> yeah, it's a gift from uh, from Marin and Jason from the oh, Indie Birth people. How sweet! Yeah, I think it was a subtle suggestion that our sound has not been very good lately. So, um, <laughs> if it works well for this podcast, I'm getting you one then. Nice, and I'll we'll have matching big mics. Big mics. <laughs> I'm glad my name isn't Mike. That'd be pretty funny. Oh my, I had to turn the air conditioning off so I could hear you. Um, but it is uh, it is sort of a steamy, humid day. I'm in, I made it to Missouri today. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I broke, Missouri. I broke all the rules of RV life. Yes. The, the two, two, and two. Yeah, I went 450... Uh, Let's see, um, four and one. So <laughs> I went 450 miles today. I'm, uh, I got here at four o'clock and I am uh, only staying one day because I'm solely on my way back to Los Angeles, which I'm very happy to be doing because um, I've got things that are pig piling there. Uh, but it was a great day and I picked up an hour going west. So I had an extra hour. So that's why I sort of, and I felt good. So I just kept going. Yeah, I, good. Wanted to, I wanted to get past St. Louis so that I didn't have to deal with um, tomorrow morning rush hour in St. Louis. Yeah, so makes sense. It was really, you know, St. Louis is a pretty city to drive by because they have this fantastic bridge. And then of course they have the giant arch and from far away, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, and you're right on the Mississippi river there. And there's just something about, about St. Louis. I mean, it's not a spectacular town. It's not greatest skyline in the world, but you know, there's just something I, and again, I've been sort of rural lately. So seeing a big city was sort of kind of fun, actually. It's iconic. It is iconic. That's a good word for it. Yeah. 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 Like you, like you are. I'm an icon. You are an icon. There's so many oh, people. Okay. Listen, you, you are an icon. Right. So are you then. You know, I'm feeling a little disconnected from the birth world. My only exposure to birth stuff lately is other people's stories, you know, posted on Instagram or people writing me and telling me stuff. And yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's sort of, uh, it, it's an odd thing to not be involved with birth. I've been talking a lot, you know, I, I was just in London and, and I did record some podcasts. We're going to, we're going to, talk i'm going to talk with aaron uh from better birth uk in the second half of this podcast they will talk a little bit yeah. more about that but she introduced me to a guy named james the midwife and james the midwife is a male midwife in wales and i've been following him there and he's got some really great stuff on there and aaron just had him on her podcast which posted i think this morning and i listened to it along with about six other podcasts today while i was driving um wow you can do that when you go 450 miles <laughs> um, and it's brilliant. He talks about continuity of care and he talks about, um, 
Um, he sort of has his own version of the money ball theory. You know, the money ball theory I brought up. It's like, if, uh, mm -hmm. if he's such a good hitter, how come he doesn't hit good? So yeah. he was talking about the Friedman curve and he says sort of like, it's one of those things where, um, most women don't fall. Most primips don't fall on the Friedman curve. So it's not the women that are wrong. It's the curve that's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Right. But in the medical model, the women are wrong because they fall off the curve. And even though many, many people are beginning to have already tossed the Friedman curve into the waste bin of history, many places still have not. And well, and it's not just the hourly thing. It's also like, you know, what if a woman gets stuck at eight centimeters for eight hours? Section. Right. And even in, you know, again, even in the home birth world, those people usually get transported because something's dysfunctional um, rather than, you know, that maybe is just what her body needs to do, you know? So it's still, it's still in play in our minds that we have a time consideration when it comes to dilation. If we weren't checking dilation, it would just be what's happening. That's right. That's yeah. right. But you have to check dilation because you have to know because you have to plot points on a curve. Exactly. Some people or, need to. No, I, yeah, you're right about that. But it is. I mean, when some, I, I think it's almost human nature from even for most midwives and people like myself too, when, you know, you, you do sort of get to the point where if someone is labor, especially when active phase, you were always taught that the active phase is an acceleration and it, and it shouldn't plateau. But I've seen it now you know, enough times to know that sometimes a woman gets, is the, the contraction stop, a woman is exhausted. We give them something to eat. We send them out for a walk. We have them take a nap. We, you know, whatever. And then, you know, 45 minutes later, an hour later, two hours later, they're in booming labor again and they finish and they completely um, surprise us that that was going to yeah. surprise me. I, I should say that I was surprised because that's not what I learned that labor labor should not plateau. That was what we were taught. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are outliers in everything, you know, as long as mom and baby are doing well and it's still within her desire to continue. That's really all it should matter. You know, is supporting what feels right for the family as long as mom and baby look good. So, so I, but, see, yeah. I, see, I see you sitting in hope. So where, where are you today? I'm still in CARP. Um, that means, uh, that means carpenter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is, um, you know, that's the slang. Um, but uh, I'm still at that family's house that delivered uh, the day before Mother's Day. Actually, that baby came right on its due date. Isn't that fun when that happens? Exactly 40 weeks. How, how much um, percentage of, what percentage of babies come on their due date? Do you know? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I, I was, I've, I've heard it's about 8%. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought like 10, but yeah, it's yeah, not many. And I remember, I remember eight because I remember saying so many times, and I get, I don't know if eight means anything, because I don't, you know, again, data is just as good as, you know, garbage in and garbage out. But I always remember, you know, why we, why do we put so much emphasis on something that's 92% wrong? Right. Right. <laughs> but we do, we put um, a lot of emphasis on a due date. And, you know, part of it is we need a due date for, for record keeping and stuff like that. But other than that, due dates probably do more damage than they do good. People anticipate them. Your family writes them down. 
everybody starts calling you the day after your due date, what's going on, and you say well, nothing, and they say, well, my doctor says it's dangerous to go past 40 weeks, and and then they start throwing these, you know, mud balls at you until one of them eventually will stick. Is it's that a true. Word? Mud it, causes, ball? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> um, it causes a lot more stress than than makes a difference because babies are going to come when they come if if we just left everything alone. But um, I've had a couple of births, so you can live vicariously through mine. I was going to get to um, that. I, I knew that. So that's where I was headed. But before you do that, yeah, I want you to see yeah. my T-shirt. You see my T-shirt? Uh, reteach Breach 2022. I love it. What does it say on the bottom? Anything? It says Indie Birth and Dr. Stu. That's awesome. I know. Was that another gift? That was something that she gave to all the, all the uh, attendees at the Kentucky um, Breach Seminar. What a class act. I love it. Yeah, they, they do. You know, they have a really good. Um, well, first of all, Marin has a, an unbelievable uh, asset, and that's her husband, Jason. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he's got he's a, good, a good head on his shoulders. So yeah, he's stuff. a marketing computer, just an overall smart guy. And, you know, I've been, I was at their house a couple of times in the last couple of days because I, I came back through. And we did go up to uh, take a look at this property that we had talked about before, but, but, you know, they got 10 kids running around. Kids are never inside. The kids are, the kids are, are, are all so curious. I, I brought, I picked up three uh, turtles on the road. Um, and as I was driving through West Virginia, um, there were, there were, there was, I saw these three, I had to stop each time I saw a turtle on the road because I, I figured that, that's not a good thing for a turtle to be on the, on a four lane highway. And a real turtle. Yeah. Well, they're, they're called box turtles, but they're, they're actually tortoises, but they, we looked them up. And so they really still call them turtles, but you and I would call them a tortoise. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, yeah, one, one of them didn't make it. And that one I named, I named her Muerta. <laughs> you actually picked up three turtles and yeah, like, I pulled, just carried I, I them pulled along the, I pulled the beast over and wow. walked back walked back a couple hundred yards every time I'd see one you know uh, and because you know, one of them was bloodied and so it probably did get hit by a car and the other two uh, were fine and and um I named one Buster because he was trying to bust out constantly <laughs> and then one was I named um Scaredy Cat because he rarely came out of his shell uh Cute. And I and I I threw I put him in my sink in the RV <laughs> until I got to the campground near Marin, Marin's house and then and then I took them over to Marin's for her kids to play with and of course one was dead so that wasn't very good but <laughs> yeah it's life right yeah, yeah well it's you know one was dead one took off and then Scaredy Cat they 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 let the other two go and then the next morning Scaredy Cat was still sitting on the lawn and <laughs> Buster had busted out but anyway. I don't know why I'm telling you this. I just, oh, because, because the next day I saw, we were at a pond and I saw a snapping turtle. And so Marin sent me this thing about uh, your turtle spirit. Yeah, not, your animal. Yeah, my animal, animal spirit. Spirit so my, animal. At least for two days, my spirit was a turtle. And uh, it's about perseverance. It's about uh, longevity. It's, you know, things that, things that you associate with turtles. Sea, sea turtle, dude. <laughs> anyway that's from finding Nemo, but i'm not a very good uh australian accent um 
Okay, so you are, you had two births. Let's go back to reality here. Yeah, I mean, turtles were reality. Um, I, uh, yeah, I had two births 13 hours apart, which was pretty amazing, <laughs> considering I don't have a very busy schedule. Um, so actually that morning, um, yeah, she had started to have some sensation. And so I kind of had a feeling that we were going to have a baby. And so I did, took really good care of myself that day. And uh, this is a mom who had two girls, um, both in the hospital. And then this is her very first home birth. And it was interesting. Her husband was like, why would you go to the hospital to have a baby? It's like having a baby in jail. That was his feeling about it. And they don't <laughs> and, listen to um, and they don't listen to us. They never heard the term jail before. That's pretty cool. No, yeah, yeah. Um, not baby jail, just regular jail. Um, but so you know, there she had had um what was considered a retained placenta last time. Um, and she had you know some fear around her experience last time because it was really overwhelming and and you know what she would consider a traumatic experience and we did a lot of chatting and talking and um, you and I had talked a little bit about some interesting bleeding that she had had um, her gums had bled um, when she would brush her teeth like not just regular but like a lot in in her reporting and um and some little kind of cuts that she had had bled a lot and so I was like huh this you know she's also anemic has been anemic in all three pregnancies and so there was just you know part of me that just wanted to be really prepared being in a new town and they live a little bit far from the hospital and you know her history she had hemorrhaged after this retained placenta and so you uh had suggested that we do a um, platelet function test. Um, and so I ran that test and everything came back normal. And so I just kind of said, you know, I'm gonna, as I do when I go into birth, I'm like, I'm going to walk into this birth with as an empty vessel and trusting that birth works. And we have a backup plan if we need it. And this is just a mom having a baby, you know? Um, and we'll just have to see what happens. And uh, she labored beautifully. Um, she absolutely had a gorgeous labor and, um, we were, I wasn't sure we filled up the tub, you know, it was that mad dash to get the tub all filled up. And then, um, she didn't want to move. And so I was like, well, maybe she's not going to get in the tub. And then she got in the tub at the last minute and we had an absolutely beautiful water birth. Um, she decided to get out her, her two daughters, were there right next to me um, as the baby was delivering and her older daughter said I can't believe that I get to be here for the birth of my baby it was so cute and um, it was in the middle of the day it wasn't even a night birth you know oftentimes we talk about babies come in the middle of the night um, but her girls really wanted to be there and they were awake and her mom was there and her best friend was her doula and her husband was amazing. And, um, we had an absolutely gorgeous delivery and then she wanted to get out of the tub. And obviously we were, you know, I was just really conscious of what was her experience going to be like with this placenta because she had such a traumatic experience last time. And, um, you know, we hung out and we talked and I did the Lindsay Mahilis, uh, um, suggestion of massaging the mom's legs, kind of take the focus off of just focusing on when is the placenta coming. Um, and we just hung out and 
my uh, assistant, Alexis, who's a midwife up here, she kept kind of giving me the time and her placenta delivered completely naturally 48 minutes later. And um, I told her, I said, no heavy bleeding at all. And I did tell her, you know, before the placenta came out, because there was a lot of energy in the room, the kids and the moms, and, you know, there was just a lot going on. And I said, I really want you to focus on before your placenta comes out, that when your placenta delivers, I want you to thank your body for all of the beautiful work that it's done and tell it that it's done an amazing job and that it can let go of the placenta and, and shut down the, the uterus and not have excessive bleeding. And, you know, and she did, she really like went inside and really focused on that. And, um, and we had a conversation after and I said, see, your placenta came in 48 minutes, no retained placenta. It didn't have to come out in 30 minutes, which is often kind of the cutoff in the hospital. Yep, maybe start talking and about her friend who's the doula said, actually, I think it was seven minutes last time that they decided that her placenta was retained and literally went in and she describes it as going in with some kind of metal, like she said, it felt like a metal scraper that went in. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that gets passed down where it's like, I had a retained placenta. Thank God I was in the hospital. You know, all of these stories that get told and probably in reality, it never was a retained placenta. It was just somebody who was impatient. Yeah, you know, Bliss, when you started to talk about it, I was going to be cynical stew, and I was going to say that. I was going to say, I, I, you know, what's a retained placenta in the hospital? Like, I was going to say 10 minutes. And yeah. you might know it's seven. And um, I'm not saying that that's the case. We don't know the facts for sure. But it wouldn't surprise me that somebody has, you know, they're pulling on the placenta. Maybe this starts causing some separation. There's a heavier bleeding, and the placenta is not coming. So they 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 call it a you know, retain placenta or whatever, and they go reach up and they try to get it out. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, if they, if they had done a scraping on her uterus with like a, a curette, that would be surprising to do it that quickly um, without anesthesia, unless she had an epidural. Um, right. So I don't know if that's the case, but if they remember that happening that way, then that probably did happen that way. And it probably yeah. was short and you're right. And um you know, uh, James, the midwife, we, I talked about him briefly earlier. He just has a post that came out today on Instagram about uh, the, the placenta and gratitude for the placenta and, you know, how, how we don't really ever get to see the third stage of labor. And he's got a video of a woman giving birth to the placenta in the tub. Um, and as far as the tub goes, too, you're right. Some women, you, we rush to set the tub up and the baby comes out before that. But I remember we talked about a story once where we had a woman who delivered sort of in the bathroom accidentally, but then after that, she carried the baby and, and then got in the tub. And then she the sat in the tub, tub for like an hour in the tub with the baby uh, afterwards. And, and uh, so the tub wasn't a waste. It was actually very therapeutic for her because, you know, it made after pains more comfortable and she and her husband, nice. husband got in there and they sat inside the water with their baby and and yeah it was great so like a laboyer bath god you're really going back in time <laughs> I, I i know some history about birth <laughs> yeah i think it's laboyer but but uh yeah laboyer laboyer it's me yeah. <laughs> wow um yeah so so yeah it was a beautiful experience and then as we were cleaning up um 
I looked at my phone, you know, I hadn't been looking at my phone for a while. And I looked at my phone and there was my other mom who was due um, and said, I've been having contractions. They're five to seven minutes apart. I just wanted to let you know. So I was like, oh, okay. This one is, she is her first birth. And so um, I knew that we were probably going to have a double header. So we, you know, finished cleaning up and, um, and then got some sleep. Um, she didn't have a doula. So it was, it was me working with her husband and her contractions were coming every two to three minutes. So I was like, okay, I'm going to head over. And, um, she didn't have any bloody show. Um, so I was a little, you know, being a first time, uh, mom and not having any bloody show, I was a little like, huh, interesting. It'll be interesting to see when I get there. And so, you know, I got everything set up and checked baby and, you know, um, just kind of spent some time with her observing her. And she definitely seemed like she was, um, coping, uh, you know, chat, she was challenged by the labor, but she was coping well. Um, and, uh, I checked her, she was three centimeters. So I said, for people that people that can't see that bliss with three centimeters. And then this had this little smiley grin on her face like now what or or yeah now what right um and you know when I check people I don't normally tell them how dilated they are you know unless we've got a long way to go and then I feel like to sugarcoat it for them is really not going to do them any justice because they've got to you know get on that different brain that different mentality of like okay I got this, even though it's going to be longer and it might get a little harder and all of that. So I just said, you know, you're doing great. Everything feels awesome. It's, it's too early for me to be here. So I, you know, you're doing great, but I just want to let you know that this may be a while still, you know, and, um, and she's like, like hours. And I'm like, yeah, probably. And she's like, okay. And I, you know, I made some suggestions. I, I talked to them about things that they could do and try in positions. And, um, and then I gave her husband some new instructions on when to call me back. And, um, and then what, what, what I think you, I, I think is, I was home maybe an hour. Yeah. What did you, what did you tell the husband? Because she's already contracting like every two to three minutes. So what, sort of things did you would you say to a husband to to be more on alert for something that's changing what what did you tell them well definitely i said let me know if her water breaks let me know if there's bloody show um because she hadn't had any show yet and i said and things are gonna shift she's going to go more internal um she's not gonna really be chatty in between the contractions um you know it it you're going to notice that things have intensified. And then I, you know, I told them that they could walk on the stairs, alternate rest, because she was really kind of staying in one place. So I was saying, you know, mobility can really help. We talked about sitting on the toilet, maybe putting something on the back backwards, getting her in the shower if she needed help. Um, Because she was definitely, it wasn't, she was definitely having strong contractions every couple of minutes. So I knew it wasn't going to be like another day. Um, but it was, it was definitely, I felt comfortable enough to, to leave with a prime up who was three centimeters. Um, and so that's what he did. He said, there's tons of show. She's sitting on the toilet. She really wants this baby to come and she can tell that there's progress. So she's not moving off the toilet. And I said, does she want to get in the shower or something? He's like, I don't think so. And, 
Water did, hadn't did broken she feel yet. Did she feel said, pressure? Did she feel any pressure? Oh, I did. I did um, tell him before I came back, I said, is she feeling pressure? He said, definitely. I said, is she feeling like she might have to poop or push? And he said, no, not yet. And so, you know, that gave me the reassurance that we were doing well. But once she started having show and he said, she's pretty much screaming now with every contraction, I was like, it's time to go back. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't check her again until, you know, she was asking about pushing. And then I said, you know, is it okay if I check? And she said, yeah. And she was nine with a, you know, a small lip. So I knew it would be a good time to call my assistant who lived an hour away. Um, and then we delivered, um, on the bed. She, uh, decided that she really liked being on the bed, basically in lithotomy position. Although I gave her the coaching to kind of keep her knees more close together rather than spread out to help open her pelvis. But she was really feeling really tired and liked the support of leaning into her husband and being able to relax in between the contractions. And um, she got to a point where she really wanted to have her baby. And she was like, what do I need to do to get the baby up? Because, you know, with a first time mom, it takes some time to get that baby under the pubic bone. And it was totally normal. There was nothing dysfunctional. But I said, you know, sometimes it's good to try different positions. And um, and so we got the stool set up and we tried hands and knees and she liked lithotomy better. And I said, well, if you really want to try to get the baby out, the stool is very effective. You know, the only downsides that I feel is that sometimes we have more tearing and more bleeding. And so she tried on her back for a little bit longer and then decided that she wanted to get on the stool and the baby was born less than 10 minutes later on the birth stool. Um, and she said, you know, I'm really glad that we waited to get on the stool because it was so intense, um, that I'm glad that we worked up to that point. Um, the other thing that's really interesting about this woman is that she is an athlete and, um, you could, I knew that she wasn't going to transport. I just knew from her personality and she, she told the assistant, she's like, the only reason I would have transported it is if I was dying. And I kind of knew that about her, just her personality type. Well, I, I, I know who this is. So I know, I don't want to say names, right? but I, I know, you know, um, but I could tell by the way that she was pushing that if I didn't give her some serious coaching about how to slow down during the crown, that we were going to have a blowout, you know, because she was so strong and so determined. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I really need you to hear me and listen to me when I tell you to slow down. And she did the most beautiful controlled crown on that baby. So even though we were on the stool and, you know, maybe if we had been in a different position, we wouldn't have any tearing because she did such an amazing job. We didn't have to do any suturing. Um, and she's so proud of herself that she had a home birth with her first baby. And, um, she's, works with a lot of other female, young female athletes and is so inspired to um, not only, you know, support them in talking about home birth, but all kinds of other things about what she's learned during this pregnancy. So anyways, two beautiful births. Yeah, she'll be a great ambassador. She'll be a great ambassador for um, she will. this sort of thing. And, you know, I'm thinking of when you talk about how she preferred to be on, on her back, like we don't have to call it lithotomy, but sort of yeah. in bed on her back. Um, when I teach breach, uh, the two courses I taught in the last month, uh, a lot of my videos are with women delivering on their back uh, at home. And people will always ask me that. And part of it is that, you know, the all fours breach delivery didn't really come back into vogue until about 2016, 2017. 
<laughs> with Dr. Lewin from uh, Germany published his all, uh, his upright breached paper. But um, even after that, I find that a lot of women, either when they're on all fours, they, their arms get tired. They don't like being on that position. They're not making as much progress. And they'll naturally find the right position for them. And if I want to help them, sometimes I even suggest that they get on their back. And because for me, it, it's, I know it sounds really weird, but I did, that's how I delivered babies for 35 years almost. Yeah. So no, it's not weird. Um, yeah. I just, I, I can, I got a better sense when things are going or when things are stalling. And again, for some reason, it's, it, it's just more comfortable for some women to be supported by pillows or to be so you know, in that sitting position than it is to be upright. So yeah. 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 I always, them, I always let them pick their own. because, you know, there isn't any, really any bad position. It's really what you feel comfortable in. And um, I've had a couple of women who that has been their position of choice, you know, other women that we've tried it because we've tried everything else. And we're like, well, let's try it, you know, and sometimes it really is the thing that works. So yeah, there's, there should yeah. be nothing dogmatic about like, you know, any of that. It's all about just trying different things out and seeing what feels right. That's right. And you, and, and nobody should uh, be judgmental no matter which position that they're in. Yeah. Like right. sex, right? Uh, that came out like of sex. Like you try, you try different positions. You see what works, you know, that you is so bliss about anybody's sex positions. That is so bliss. There'll, there'll be a clip for that next week. All right. So. <laughs> so a couple of things first, and then we, then I want to get, I want to introduce uh, uh, Aaron. So, um, you know, I'm I was listening to one of the books that I'm listening to. Well, that was, that was sort of a tautology. I'm listening to one of the books I'm listening to <laughs> that didn't come out right. Uh, you know, I'm listening to books on tape as well. And one of them I've mentioned a couple of times before is dissolving illusions. And I think it was from that book, but it might've been from a quote from something else, but it's from Luke 531. And I'm not a religious person whatsoever, but part of that quote goes, they that are whole need not a physician. And I just, I wrote it down as we're driving. You know, I, I carry a pen and a pad and, you know, I'm driving the beast. So I, it's a little bit precarious when I, when I get a thought and I want to write it down, but I write it and so I scribble it. Sometimes I can't read what I wrote, but this one I remembered. And it's mm -hmm. like them that are whole need not a physician. And it's, it's right. And so it kind of reminds me of when we talk about why do well children need to go to the pediatrician? Um, what's the purpose of that? What's the purpose of the annual physical exam and when you're perfectly healthy? I know that some people say, yeah, well, you might find something and stuff, but I will tell you from my own experience in, in the gynecology world that when a woman comes in with no complaints, it's really, really rare to find anything that's abnormal. Right. So um, it's almost always the woman herself that brings it to, to our attention that she's, something isn't right. And then you just have to actually listen. And when you're listening, then, then, you, then you are really doing what our calling is, which is to, to, listen, them, uh, to listen to what they have to say. And um, not focusing on one issue or one lab value, but focusing on the whole person that you're looking at. Um, why is she saying this? What's going on in her life? All the things that you can do in our model that you can't do in the industrialized medical model. Yeah. And um, so when, so what I did when I was on the East Coast was I had some time to kill because I got there about, I don't know, about May 2nd or 
third or whatever else. And I had a conference in Washington, DC, a breach teach conference, reteach conference on May 13th. And I thought, you know, I'd heard that Britain had opened up and they dropped all COVID restrictions. And then it was about two weeks before that some judge had, had vacated the, the requirement for masks on airplanes and in airports. And I just decided at the last minute, I was just gonna go to London. Uh, I have dear friends there and they're the parents of my goddaughter who I hadn't seen in seven years. And so I just hopped on a plane and I went to the airport with no mask. I went through on the airplane with no mask. Did I other went, people have masks on? Yeah, I would say about 30% of people are still wearing masks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, that's their choice. But, exactly. you know, nobody's staring at them and saying, you know, how dare you? So thank yeah. goodness that we have now the, the right to not necessarily wear a mask. And, and um, London was completely wide open. I was on the tube. I was on the train. I was in a cab. Um, I went to the theater one night. You know, I was comparing it. I think I might've mentioned this. I was comparing, I think I mentioned this to Aaron that I, that I took my daughter to see Hamilton like two months ago or whatever. And you had to be vaccinated, wear a mask, the whole, the whole performance. Um, and here I went to see the life of Pi. And I have to tell you that, that it was magnificent. The staging mm. of it was magnificent. And the kid who played mm. Pi was magnificent. And there were three people that played Richard Parker, the tiger. And oh, really? I don't know if you've seen Life of Pi, but it's, yeah. uh, you know, they did a marvelous job. And it was very much the same story as the movie. And yet it was on stage. And Beautiful. Uh, it's amazing what they can do. And it was one of those traditional old theaters, you know, probably a hundred years old with balconies and boxes and it was very and then during the intermission they served chocolate ice cream that you could eat in the theater nice yeah i mean it's very much of a tradition apparently at at intermission in british theater for them to serve ice cream so, i love that but in america you 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 couldn't eat in the theater and right. you if you had to eat i think you even had to go outside because you couldn't take your mask off inside the uh the theater i mean it was just it's just so it's so different I, i'm hoping that it, things have changed now well that's it, in la i'm in santa barbara and i went to a concert the other day and there were no masks and i was able to have a drink inside of the theater la is a la is a special beast for sure <laughs> yeah so <laughs> yeah. anyway part of my trip there i you know i know aaron from better birth uk and i know sally ann Beresford yeah. from uh, ultimate yeah. birth partner and i reached out to both of them and they were both very gracious and they agreed to like, they were excited to hang out with me. So um, today we're going to talk to Aaron. I took the train down to Shoreham, the village of Shoreham, which is different than Shoreham on the sea. And it's a little village, tiny little village in Kent. Cutest thing. Like it's like two blocks of, of stone pubs and things. And we went into a pub and we had, and we, we were joined by Kemi, uh, Joy Birth Johnson, or Birth Joy Johnson, excuse me, um, another fairly active with lots of followers on Instagram, midwife in um, in England. And yeah. remember, Erin is not a midwife. Erin is not even a doula. Erin is a hypnobirthing instructor, but she yeah. is prolific. And so, um, and then the other, and then the next day I went up to um, Stratford-upon-Avon, which is the birthplace of William Shakespeare, and met with uh, Sally Ann Beresford, also in a pub, 
And with Aaron, we went back to her house to record. But with Sally Ann, we recorded actually in a pub. At a oh, really? Yeah, at a table <laughs> at a pub. They were really nice. They had, well, we had to find a place with Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. awesome. So um, great. What, what I'm gonna... sorry that I was not able to join you guys. But as you talked about in this um, episode, it was four o'clock in the morning or something. And yeah. I don't get up until way later than that. So I'm sorry I didn't get to be part of the conversation, but it's a great it's a great segment. And I think our listeners will really enjoy it. Yeah. So without further ado, um, enjoy the segment and uh, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Ta-ta for now. <laughs> Ta-ta for now. So let's talk about our sponsors. One of them is Element. L-M-N-T. 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 You know, it doesn't rhyme, but it tastes good. <laughs> and it's good for you. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a, you know, it's a tasty electrolyte drink with none of the BS, as Bliss likes to always say. And a lot of good stuff that, that we need to replace uh, things that we lose, especially when we're working out or we're, we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not eating well. Uh, if you're in labor, if you're a birth worker, um, these sorts of things, um, these bio-friendly, right? They're bio-friendly. Bio-friendly? Yeah, because they don't come in a <laughs> Eco? bottle. Eco? Oh, eco-friendly, right. <laughs> yeah, eco-friendly. Bio, it's good for your biology, I guess. We're so good at commercials. <laughs> do you want to start again? No, I want this commercial to go out there because this is what we do. <laughs> this, this, is, this is us. Um, you know what's really cool is the is the is the story that I told about the primate um, on this episode. Uh, she is such an avid listener and is such a fan that she ordered her element pack and it was sitting there next to all of her birth stuff and she was drinking it in labor and drank it prenatally. So what flavor know, did she have? She tried all the flavors. I didn't ask her what her favorite so one was. I have, I have a list of flavors today because every time we all, we can only think of mango chili and then chocolate <laughs> something or other. So I've got the list here. It's grapefruit, salt, watermelon, salt, citrus, salt, Orange salt, raspberry salt, which is my favorite, raw, unflavored, anything with raspberries in it I like. Mango mm-hmm. chili, lemon, habanero, and habanero. Chocolate. It's a little hot. Yeah. And, and chocolate salt. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't those sound good. They do sound good. They yeah. do. And okay, right now, so tell because, them how to order their their pack. Right now, because I'm in my uh, RV and the air conditioning's off, so I can hear you. I'm yeah. spritzing, so it'd be really good to have some element here. But unfortunately, <laughs> it's hard to get element sent to you when you don't have an address. <laughs> mm. They need a pigeon. Oh, yeah. So you can go to drink element. That's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts. And for only the cost of shipping, which is $5, they'll send you a free sample pack. So please support them because they support us. Thanks, element. Thanks, element. Bliss, do you know what time yeah. it is? It's time to talk about boobies. Well, found boobies, that is. That is. It's one of my favorite words ever. <laughs> so, we love them. They have, uh, they're such an amazing company and one of our longtime supporters. 
Um, they are committed to the comfort of mom and baby and have all kinds of amazing products to support them in a eco-conscious way, which is one of my things that is very important to me when I am recommending products because I don't really support overbuying, overconsuming, um, but I can really stand behind this company and their product line. Yeah. And I know that you really like the heart-shaped breast pads because they're cute. <laughs> they're cute. Yes. And I'm a, you know, I'm a lover. Um, but also because of the shape, they actually don't show up in your clothing. And, you know, women who have breastfed and worn breast pads understand that sometimes it's a little cumbersome to be able to see those pads. You either have leaking breasts or you have these weird round pads. So the shape of it actually lends itself to not showing through your clothes, which is really nice. Yeah. And they have a, a store with lots of other uh, items on it. So check them out at bamboobies.com. And if you put in the code word instincts, that's I-N-S-T-I-N-C-T-S, uh, you get 25% off your purchase. That's bamboobies.com, so bamboobies.com. Thanks, bamboobies. Thanks, bamboobies. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon, good evening, and good <laughs> middle of the night, wherever you, where you might be. But guess where I am today? Where am I? You're in my house. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm with Aaron Fung, um, creator of Better Birth UK, and I'm in Shoreham, the village of Shoreham. The village of Shoreham in Kent. In Kent. In the UK. In the UK. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the planet Earth. <laughs> and um, I'm just part of my part of my adventure. I just decided that uh, Britain had opened up and I was on the East Coast and I'm waiting to get into Washington, D.C. to do my um, reteach breach on May 13th. And I thought, geez, you know, I haven't been to England in a while. And so I jumped on a plane and I came to visit some friends of mine. I got to see my goddaughter. And I contacted Aaron and Aaron was kind enough to uh, clear a day for me. So here I am. I took the train this morning down to Shoreham and we're going to just chat for a little bit. Um, Bliss would join us, except that it's four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's a bit so, early for her. Yeah, we couldn't get, we couldn't wake her up. We did discuss it. So Bliss and I will comment on this. Uh, we'll insert this into one of our up upcoming podcasts. So hi, Aaron. Hi. It's so great to be with you. It's amazing to meet you in person. I have watched you uh, for years now since I've been on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I just want people who don't know you to follow you at Better Birth UK. But also, you are prolific. And you are you are a mother of three. I, I was fortunate I got to meet your children. You did, yeah. They just went off to have noodles. <laughs> but I... Um, I, I don't know how you do what you do because your posts are always artistic. Some, they're very creative. Uh, they have to take some time. So how do you do it? Um, I do everything on my phone. I very rarely switch my computer on. Um, lots of my posts and lots of this, the content that I produce is done when I'm breastfeeding my son <laughs> at night. Um, lots of grab moments in between cooking dinner and doing school runs and waiting in the car like most of my stuff is just done quickly on my phone and it's the animation stuff that you do all of it is done yeah on my phone absolutely through an app or through instagram can do that or do you um, do it on your own art and then you transfer it to instagram so i mean some of some of my artwork is done on on my ipad using procreate um i've got an apple pencil um although my daughter my oldest daughter is 
commandeered my iPad and my Apple Pencil, so I've lost that at the moment. Um, I use Canva um, app to create my Instagram posts. Um, but yeah, it's all it's pretty much all done on my phone, to be honest, and kind of grabbed moments in between being a mum. That's great because because <laughs> I'm clearly not that creative, and that's why I have people that help me do that help me do most of what I do. I mean, clearly, I I post some simple things and simple comments, but you lately have been on a on a on a run about some very important issues, mm -hmm. including um, uh, induction mm -hmm. and also episiotomy. Mm -hmm. Um, was there, were there other things that you've been, um, this week I, I, I focused on sweeps. Um, yeah. On cervical sweeps. Yeah. So let's, let's, so let's talk about that because Bliss and I recently did a podcast. We called it, uh, tears, repairs and, or pushing tears and repairs or mm -hmm. something like that. And, uh, uh, but we didn't really get into in, induction in that way. Yeah. And one of the big points you made on your post was that uh sweeping is an intervention it is an it is a form of induction mm -hmm. you've got some blowback from a little bit of blowback from that but yeah. tell us tell us why that this is a big issue for you and what and, and overall how you as a mom of three found yourself doing this and mm -hmm. doing it so prolifically mm -hmm. um well the the the, the 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 issue that i have with sweeps mainly is that they are seen as part of the course you're pregnant, you go past 40 weeks, you go for a sweep. Um, and I think they're seen as quite an innocuous procedure to have done. Um, and I feel like the risks are not really very clearly explained of having a sweep. Um, and they they do have risks. Every, we know every medical intervention has has risks. Yeah, and I think very few things are clearly explained. Yeah, so true, very very true. So uh, people listen to me know that. that yeah. I think that the uh, informed consent model doesn't really exist in mm -hmm. the medical world. It's at best skewed informed consent, and and certainly it's more of course of informed consent. Absolutely. Don't do this, and this will this these bad things will happen. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Because I think a lot of conversations that happen when we're talking to midwives and obstetricians one of the things that I always make make a point of telling my clients is when you're asking about risks you need to ask for the risks of doing the thing they're recommending as well as the risks of not doing the thing they're recommending because I think quite often people are told the risks of not doing the intervention and the risks of the intervention themselves are left out yes um so this was the point that I was trying to make with 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 sweeps is that they do have risks yes they're small risks although arguably uh, so just today, someone commented on, on my post saying that um, it's it's misleading and that the, the risk of infection with a sweep is very, very small. Is it genuinely, though? Because I know lots of people get infections. Where did the infection come from? Even if we have sterile gloves, the second that glove touches the vulva and the, the, all of the surrounding skin, it can pick up bacteria, which is going to get pushed up the vagina and through the cervix because we've had a sleep. Um, so it's just, it's just, I'm just very passionate about people making informed decisions, um, mm -hmm. whether that's a sweep or induction or any other medical intervention. I think the risk is small uh, of getting an infection, but a couple of things that I would say very in, in uh, conjunction with what you're saying is mm -hmm. that first of all, uh, it's very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And the question, the big question is, why are you doing a sweep? Mm -hmm. Are you doing a sweep because a woman is one minute past 40 weeks mm -hmm. or are you doing a sweep because a woman is developing hypertension or preeclampsia or severe cholestasis mm -hmm. or something where 
you know, trying to expedite the delivery has a medical, true medical indication. Mm-hmm. Um, because other than that, there's no, there's really no reason to be doing a vaginal exam at all. Mm-hmm. So the idea that doctors, and this is the pattern of practice that I had for many years, was from 36, 37 weeks on, every week when they came in for their prenatal visit, they got a vaginal exam. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the prenatal uh, records that most physicians use, there's a category, there's a column for cervix, uh, cervix dilation, effacement, station. So it, obviously they put it there, not for looks, they put it there because they expected people to fill it out mm-hmm. and they'll fill it out and you'd have to do a vaginal exam, which we all determined and pretty much is completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about induction for actual reasons for induction and you can you have a favorable cervix, then a sweep makes some sense, mm-hmm. but it also does carry with the risk of accidentally rupturing membranes. Yeah. Um, you are pushing bacteria and things up inside the cervix when normally there's a downstream flow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. so it, it, you know it's a risk benefit thing and you need to talk to people about what's the risk of doing it versus what's the benefit. And if there's only, the only benefit is, is that you're two days overdue and wanna get your baby out or I'm going on vacation in three days and I wanna get your baby out or you're tired of being pregnant and you wanna get your baby out. Those, you know, those, for some women, they may choose if well-informed that that's what a risk they mm-hmm. want to take or a, or a, they want that procedure done. But otherwise you're right. You're yeah. right. It's not something that should be just blown off as, uh, as it's, it's just, it's a nothing. Yeah. And, and the even more controversial in my mind is the fact that in the UK, the nice guidelines are changing and everyone's going to be offered a sweep at 39 weeks. So people aren't even on their due date yet and they're being offered sweeps. And multiple midwives will say that a sweep is not a form of induction. And that, and, and one, my client who's approaching 43 weeks, for example, she had a midwife appointment and had an argument with her midwife over the fact that a sweep is not a form of induction. Of course it is. Yeah, what's the point of doing it? Well, exactly. You know, you're trying to you're trying to induce labor before you've spontaneously gone gone into labor. It is a form of induction um, and it does carry risks. So I think it's it's just about making sure that people are informed. And if you want to have a sweep, that's absolutely fine. I'm not saying don't do it, but at least know the risks and the benefits so that you can make that informed decision. Um, Yeah, you said you said the NICE guidelines. Now, I know it stands for I know NICE stands for mm -hmm. something. Tell, tell my American listeners what it stands for. It, you it's the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. There you go. Yeah. Right. People are not going to know what I'm going to say right now. It's anytime you have a government bureaucracy that sounds, that gives itself a very good sounding name, mm-hmm. beware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, the, like the Affordable Care Act was, mm-hmm. was anything but affordable, anything about caring. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but, but NICE does put out guidelines and I even quote some of them in one of my presentations uh, because I think the Brits are ahead of America as far as um, being rational and reasonable. The Royal College OBGYN guidelines for breach, for that matter, are, are much better. Their, their green top guidelines are mm-hmm. much better than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, so how how is it that you got into this? How is it? I mean, you're also a doula. I'm not. Oh, you're no, not. I'm but not. you get. But you I'm give. Not. But you do a lot of online teaching. I do. I, I'm a hypnobirthing instructor. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, I do want my, to be a doula. Bad. I do want to be a doula. Um, I, I, that's one of my bucket list um, wishes. Right. I, I mixed um, it up. But you're yeah. a hypnobirthing instructor. I'm a hypnobirthing right? instructor. Um, I so obviously I've given birth three times, three very very different births. My first birth was 
uh, was pretty negative to be perfectly honest because I did what most people do and didn't inform myself I didn't educate myself um I just thought I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my care in the hands of everybody in the hospital because they know what they're doing um I was offered a an induction at 41 weeks um, because it was quiet and they had beds no other medical reason yeah that's that. like the that's listed in the uh, Williams obstetrics of reasons for induction hospital <laughs> quiet beds available yeah right um so I agreed and and then I didn't I didn't have any realistic expectation of what happens when you have an induction because nobody explained it to me beforehand I didn't know what the risks were um it happened and I and it was terrible um I had no coping techniques it was extremely painful um it cascaded to the point where I had an episiotomy I had a very very near miss with forceps um I think I had pepidy and had an epidural um couldn't breastfeed afterwards had a whole year of postnatal depression afterwards. It was it was very, very difficult to cope with. Um, so my second birth, I was like, I'm not taking the same mistake. Yeah. I'm going to educate myself. Got myself a doula, a fantastic doula. Um, and um, thank God I did because I had prolonged rupture of membranes. They wanted to induce me again. Um, I said, no, I have no signs of infection. Um, How did you know at that time to say no? Had you done research between baby one and baby two? My doula two? gave me the nice guidelines at the time which have changed since um and she said it's you know you don't have to be induced if you don't want to be it's your decision um if you have signs of infection obviously then we need to you know think about what to do but I had no signs of infection I didn't want an antibiotics prophylactically because like I said before we started recording I'm I'm positive that's why my daughter my oldest daughter has so many you know intestinal issues and allergies and eczema and so on um so the midwife went and got a doctor and the doctor came over and said, do you want a dead baby? Now, if my doula had not been with me, I think I probably would have caved and agreed to an induction that I absolutely did not want. But because I had that emotional support there, she wasn't telling me what to do, but she gave me that confidence to say, no, I'm, I don't want an induction. I went home. And um, I don't want a dead baby. Either. And I, and of course I don't want a dead baby. Yeah, of course. <laughs> did, 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 they, did the doctor actually use those words? Yes. Yeah, he actually said to me. So it's not just an American baby. thing, people. It's a, it's a worldwide mm -hmm. uh, flaw. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a nice word, by the way, yeah. flaw. And, and, it, and, it, and it's, it's, I'm not unique in, in having that experience. No, no. I've had no, lots of clients I mean, say that they've been told exactly the same. Thing. Almost every person I know that's gotten into birth work uh, has a story similar to yours, either yeah. for themselves or their sister or mm -hmm. family member yeah. or something like that, where, they, where they've been mistreated mm -hmm. or ill-treated or ill-informed Ill mm -hmm. uh, or coerced. Mm -hmm. Um, and then your third baby was at home. Third baby was at home. My husband suggested the home birth, which which is nice. Um, and it's interesting because I, 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 I got my maternity notes recently and read through all of them. Um, and all three of my babies were classed as small gestational age. Um, I, I was higher risk because I've had previous group B strep infections. I was a geriatric mother with my last son because I was 38 um, and nobody batted an eyelid when I asked for a home birth. And I know for a fact from clients who have had multiple risk factors that they are told absolutely categorically, no, we cannot support your home birth. So I really feel like it is a lottery who you get at the time to, to, to advocate for you for your home birth. But mine was no problem. Do you think that that's because it's England? 
no 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 because I've got I've had plenty of clients in the UK have been told no you're too old or no you you know whatever risk factors your baby's too big or well none of those three things that you said are actually really risk factors and I would be willing to bet you can I ask you how much your baby's weight um my first was six pounds my second was six pound eight and Ty was seven pound seven I think right small for gestational age Uh right anybody listening (laughs) first of all how tall are you five foot one okay so here we have a woman who's five foot one who had babies that were six to seven pounds and she was told at some point by some idiot that her babies were small for mm-hmm. gestational age. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in, in many places of the world, because the baby was small for gestational age, she would have gotten unnecessary uh, fetal testing. She would have been induced for no reason. The baby would have ended up possibly going to the NICU for a while. Mm-hmm. And you would have had a seven pound baby in the NICU for iatrogenic reasons and not for anything else. And no one would have said, gee, you know what? We're sorry. Yeah. We were wrong. Yeah. It happened. I'm convinced. I mean, I've, so my oldest, she was the smallest, six pounds. She was born at just after 41 weeks. She wasn't ready. She wasn't ready. She had some growing to do still. Um, yeah, I know. I get this all the time that that I will see people in consultation and they'll be told that my baby, I was told my baby was IUGR. And you look at the records and the baby was in like the ninth percentile or it's mm-hmm. the second, one of the twins is in the ninth percentile. Well, first of all, the percentiles that are used are used for singletons. Mm-hmm. Second of all, twin babies are generally slightly smaller. Mm-hmm. Third, IUGR has nothing to do with baby's size. IUGR has to do with the baby falling off of its own growth curve. Yeah. So when somebody does one scan on you and your baby's in the ninth percentile, they say your baby's IUGR, run away from these people mm-hmm. because they actually don't know what it means and they don't know the data. Mm-hmm. And they're just throwing things out there because fear is what they feel mm-hmm. and they don't want to be responsible should one in a million babies die on their watch so they'll do this for all babies they'll they'll label them and then they'll throw these you know you don't want the dead baby do Mm -hmm. you card at you and and thus enhance it the cascade of interventions has already started long before that Mm -hmm. um but this will then accelerate it yeah right yeah totally um yeah so after having my my third, um, and I used hypnobirthing with my with my second and my third um, babies, I thought I I need people to know this stuff because it's transformative for me. It was transformative. Um, so I've worked. I had worked fifteen years in corporate marketing. I quit uh, quit my job in Canary Wharf. Um, so marketing, you have a marketing background. Have a oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so that's a little bit better. Yeah. That, yeah. that explains it a little bit yeah. more. How? Because how? marvelous and how efficient and how interesting your, your posts are well it's nice i get to use my my marketing background for mm-hmm. stuff that i actually care about <laughs> yeah for um, and, and to market your your the issues like you mm-hmm. said to market yourself but also the issues that yeah. really matter to you you're not selling ladies underwear yeah oh, well i was selling i was selling uh, legal tools to lawyers <laughs> it was my yeah job. you know this is, this is a, a this is not meant to be a mean story or anything like that but mm-hmm. i had a cousin who um I love dearly, but his his job years and years ago is he was a traveling salesman selling Hanes underwear. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, like, okay, so you get up and motivated every day to go talk to department stores and, and salespeople in stores to get your stock put in things and you're selling underwear. And mm-hmm. it's like, 
you know, I know somebody has to do these jobs, yeah. but I think it's so much better when you have a, a job that motivates you or, or yeah. uh, an issue that motivates you. So it's just, it, it's so much we're lucky. fulfilling. We are very lucky because I feel like I'm doing so much good compared to making a big corporate money, which wasn't fulfilling at all. Um, so what would you like to see? I mean, we're going to, we're doing a short uh, visit today. Obviously you and I are going to spend some time together this afternoon with one of your midwife friends, mm -hmm. Kemi, Kemi, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Kemi Johnson. Yes. Right. Yep. So I will give an update on Kemi Johnson's story in a later podcast, but um, where, where would you like to see, what would you like to see happen? And do you think that it will happen in your lifetime? Oh, that's a really tough question. I would like to see a, a societal shift in uh, our attitude towards birth um, so that people are better informed, so that we don't fear birth. Um, I want to see more people feeling like they can choose home birth as an option because they're not terrified of the prospect and understanding that actually it is a really feasible option. Um, and just, just to have more communication, I think, so that people are, are making those informed decisions. Because I think a lot of people are ending up with birth trauma because they are not informed of the decisions that they're, they're not even making the decisions when it comes to birth. They're being led down a certain route and then ending up traumatized. They abdicate their responsibility or their decision-making for birth, like, yeah. like in no other aspect of their life they ever would. Mm -hmm. No one, if, if someone told them they had to buy a Toyota, they would say, oh, what the hell? I'm not buying a Toyota unless mm -hmm. they like Toyotas. But, mm -hmm. or, but, or if they told them they had to wear blue clothing, mm -hmm. no one's going to necessarily do that. But they tell them, oh, you have to be induced. You have to go to the hospital to have your baby. Your baby has to have these shots. Your baby has to. And they say, okay, okay. But I, I feel like it's almost a, a unique mindset when it comes to birth because a lot of us when it comes to healthcare in general yes we do kind of defer to doctors and and healthcare professionals but if a, if a GP writes me a prescription for antibiotics I wouldn't think twice to say you know what I'll just wait I'm not going to get I'm going to take the antibiotics I want to see if I can you know get better on my own no one would bat an eyelid with that but when it comes to birth if, if if somebody tells you you should do something we just we just do it without questioning it um and I don't really understand why, but I, I would love to see that change. Well, the motivation, I think, is fear, because when somebody just says to you what they said to you, mm -hmm. that's the end of it. Because no mother, a mother would sacrifice everything about her own body and her mm -hmm. own life for her child. Yeah. So it, it is very coercive um, and manipulative mm -hmm. for, for people to do that. Mm -hmm. So the question more is, why do people who practice medicine in the medical model feel that that's an okay thing to do or do they are they even aware that they're actually mm. doing it and that my part of me feels that these are not bad people they're good people so there's something about the process or the system they're stuck in mm. that causes them to say things that maybe they have a bit of cognitive dissonance about because they can't you know they can't purposely believe they're saying something awful but if they thought about what they're saying yeah. or even how they say things mm. Or even rolling their eyes when you mm -hmm. say to them, you know, I think I'm going to hire a doula. Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, boy. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I still remember in labor and delivery when I used to work there, when a woman woman came in with her birth plan, the nurses at the desk would roll their eyes mm -hmm. and they would say, oh, well, she's going to end up with an epidural and a mm -hmm. section mm -hmm. just, just because she had a birth plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you come in with that attitude, it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy is that 
is that you know you you you're constantly being when you're laboring and you want a natural birth plan you're and and you're moaning um the nurse's natural instinct is to say oh yeah why, why don't you take some fentanyl why don't you get an epidural yeah here's some nitrous oxide mm -hmm. you know that they're rather than encouraging them to and supporting them in their plan mm -hmm. they're supporting them in a plan that makes the nurses or the physician more comfortable mm -hmm. So it's their comfort they're actually more concerned about yeah. or their anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's all projected onto the mm -hmm. client, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, me too. I would like to see, um, I'm being realistic here. I would. I said by the year 2030, I'd like to see 5% of births in the United States be at home. Mm -hmm. what, what is the rate of home birth in, in England it's overall? Low. It's low. Uh, it's got to be higher than America though, because you have midwives who can, even though I think there's a shortage right now and some of the systems are closing down. Yeah. Um, but um, you do have midwives, especially multiples, are encouraged to be at home, right? Well, no. That's <laughs> I mean, what they I read. should. They should be encouraged. Um, I don't think always proactively midwives are, are saying at booking appointment, "Have you considered home birth?" I'd be lying if I if I thought that happened. It should do. I mean, from my from my local hospital, I'm I'm responsible for publishing the the, the obstetric scorecard and the statistics. I make it into an infographic and I post it up. Um, home birth is low, two um, percent. Wow, I think my listeners will be shocked to hear that. It's low. It's yeah. really low, and it's not because it's not an option. Because it is an option. I just I think part of it is maybe that people aren't actively encouraged to choose home birth when they are a, a, a perfectly feasible candidate for it. And I think part of it is fear. I, th I think there is an overriding opinion that home birth is really, really dangerous, and. I know, I mean, every time I post on, on Instagram or TikTok um, and I post about home birth, more so on TikTok, actually, I get tons and tons of comments, people saying, but what about what if your baby dies? Or what about if, you know, you have a, a postpartum hemorrhage or what about this and what about that? And it's very hard to, to explain to these people in such a limited character space that <laughs> you're more likely to end up with all of these outcomes in hospital. Yeah. You, you reduce the chances of these things happening by giving birth at home. Right. But people just, and even if you provide they, the statistics and the research, people don't believe you. Because they can't wrap ingrained. their brain about it because they've been conditioned to believe the hospital is the only place to give birth. And it's just, and obviously, since there's an operating room and doctors and pediatricians there, then, then if there is a problem, that that's the safest place mm -hmm. to give. But they don't realize that the problems are generated by the whole model by which you're cared for in the yeah. hospital. And that women went from a 5% C-section rate 50 years ago to a 30-something percent mm -hmm. C-section rate now, mm -hmm. that NICU admissions are, are up. You know, we won't even get into the fact that there's all the, the profit motive behind the mm -hmm. certain things that they do, mm -hmm. but NICU admissions are up. Now, if hospitals are so much safer and women are so much better off in a hospital, these NICUs are not filled with babies that were born at home. Their NICUs are filled with babies that were born in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Many of them were seven and eight pounds. Mm -hmm. they're, not, they're not filled with little you know, little one pounders. Yeah. I mean, they, and they do miracles with those people. And I mean, with those babies and those babies should be grateful that mm -hmm. there's hospitals around for that sort of thing. But the average normal, healthy person, you know, you would never go to the hospital for health. Yeah. So if you automatically go there, your brain, your brain is already being guided into the fact that there's not healthier because why would I be in the hospital mm -hmm. unless I'm not healthy? Yeah. So that's part of it. And then the anecdotes and the and the media and the propaganda that's been pushed out there. And then you hear other women who've been put through that or your mothers who've been put through that system. 
part of them is the cognitive dissonance of them not wanting to admit that maybe that what they were told was wrong mm -hmm. because that's hard for people to deal with. Yeah. So then they project onto you the mm -hmm. same things that they did. Mm -hmm. There's so many reasons for it. Mm -hmm. But for those of us in the home birth world, I mean, you just have to look at the stories. The stories are are filled and filled with filled with beautiful stories. Some of them, are, you know, yeah, I tore, yeah, I hemorrhaged, but you know what? My midwife was there and she did handle everything and it wouldn't have been any different. Mm -hmm. Is there less tearing and less hemorrhaging in a hospital birth? No, of course not. I think, and I think the, the, a really important difference is people who have a home birth, even if they need to transfer to hospital because they have complications or because they need a little bit extra help, emotionally and, you know, their mental health, is far more positive because they feel like, well, actually, no, I genuinely needed that help. I needed to transfer. And they feel okay about that a lot of the time versus people who start off in hospital, end up with a cascade and end up really traumatized by it. So true. So true. I couldn't say it better. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, okay. So our missions are the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to continue to stay in touch and we're going to continue to uh, support each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have some things in the works uh, that we would like to see happen in the next few years in the States. It's the time is right now. I think people have learned to be a, and learned appropriately to be suspicious of the medical uh, medical world. Um, if they haven't, then they really haven't been paying attention. Mm -hmm. And there's not much people we can do for those people. Mm -hmm. But for everybody else, um, we are constantly being lied to, funnel down a path that's more convenient for them, funnel down a path that makes them more revenue. Uh, when it all comes down to it, follow the money, follow the anxiety, follow the fear. Um, these are not reasons why we should be choosing the path of our birth. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. It has been. Yeah, We. I mean, I just want people to know that Aaron and I are going to, we've already been talking for an hour before we started and we're going to be talking for about three more hours afterwards, but we wanted, I wanted to just get something. First of all, I just love listening to her. I, everybody knows I love a British accent. So it's, I could, I'm just having a time of my life here in England, listening to people talk. Um, but also I am in awe of the work that you do uh, and that all the birth workers on Instagram. I mean, I, I am not a huge social media person. I just, I, I follow hockey and I follow, uh, you know, some nature, nature things. And I follow a few people that I love dearly. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'm living my life. And right now it's the greatest thing because I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm able to do this six months or whatever long it's going to be. Maybe it'll be longer where I'm not doing primary care, mm -hmm. but I'm still advocating for what we're doing. I'm still going around teaching reach. I've got six or seven seminars coming up in the next month or two. Mm -hmm around around the country i'm hoping that they'll open up and the other countries will open up like your country did god bless the queen and <laughs> whoever, whoever decided to make your country free it's so beautiful to see people walking around not wearing masks uh um restaurants theaters you know i took my daughter uh, two months ago to see hamilton in, in downtown los angeles at a time where everything was already getting open and you still had to be vaccinated and wear a mask to get into the, the show. And here I'm going to go to a play tonight, I think, and you don't have to do any of those yeah. sorts of things. It's completely been, all those restrictions have been removed. Yeah. Very, very brilliant. As the British like to say, it's very brilliant. <laughs> Is that so, a British phrase? Saying brilliant. brilliant? brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's brilliant. Using it in that terminology, I think, yeah, say something British. No. <laughs> 
thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram.